Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. If you could change one thing about your home, what would it be? A new kitchen, a new master bath, maybe put in a pool. What if you could do it with no money out of pocket and cheaper monthly payments? Savewithconrad.com can help, and you can even skip your next two house payments. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender, savewithconrad.com. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson here to tell you a little bit about adfreeshows.com. People often ask me, what exactly is adfreeshows all about? Well, I'm glad you asked. Not only do you get early ad-free access to all of my podcasts starting at just $9, but you also get many of your other favorite wrestling podcasts like Click This with Kevin Nash, Gentleman Villain with William Regal, Oh, You Didn't Know with Brian James, and others for, yes, still just $9 a month. That's 14 podcasts in total every single week, early with no ads. That's like 20 cents an episode. And yes, you can listen to them all directly through Apple Podcasts or through your regular podcast apps. How easy is that? Want some more cheese on that Whopper? Adfreeshows.com has literally tens of thousands of hours worth of bonus content, including fantastically popular series like Eric Fires Back, Idle Chase, and Strictly Business. And I don't know why this is a thing, there's even more than 40 Ask Conrad episodes waiting for you at adfreeshows.com. We've got monthly Zoom chats with all the podcast hosts, live watch-alongs with wrestling legends, and more. Come on now. See for yourself what thousands of other wrestling fans have already discovered. That's adfreeshows.com. It's the best value in wrestling today. Check it out right now. Adfreeshows.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome. Do something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard. Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooted. She pooted. What a rib. No, you have a meal. There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. And, and, and was he there? I was there. Say something about I don't give a shit. <laughs> I ain't scared. I ain't scared to shit. Fuck you. Fuck you, Bruce. I love Richard. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle With 
hitting Bruce Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard, what is going on? Are you done yelling at me? All you have done, you got on the phone, you got on this little contraption thingamajig thing that we have here, and all you've done is yell at me. Okay. Are you done? Nope. I'm just getting started. Oh, hell. We have missed you. What's going on, man? You don't call anymore or nothing. It's like I sit around and I just, I wait, I wait with bated breath and I go, man, I I wonder if he's ever going to call me. I mean, at least see how the fuck I'm doing. I don't know. You know, something. You you are the biggest. Got got barbecue smoking out on the Smiz Ochre today. Ribs. Wait, I thought you were a damn Yizanki. How far from it, kid? Far from it. Well, you're up there eating your hard rolls. Nah, man, got some, uh, got some, not baby backs. I got spare ribs. See, I'm an old school guy. I like, I I was eating spare ribs before they had these damn baby back commercialized ribs. I I just want pork spare ribs. See, I thought you would be a beef rib guy since you're a Texas guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, simple, simplicity, simplicity. I like it. We'll go with that. Hey man, people are just excited that you and I are recording. Thank you for taking the time. I know it's been. We're what? Oh, are we not supposed to be? What? Never mind. It's just you and I having a casual conversation. No, let's do it. Hypothetically, is this one of the craziest years of your entire career? You know, uh, let's call it exciting, man. It's exciting times. It's, it's a time in life for which. I think that people take life for granted sometimes and take things happening around you for granted. And it's all in how you look at life and you can either love life, live life, or you can hate life and you can just exist. So I choose to, I, there was times in my life that I chose the latter, but I choose the former. I would rather go ahead and live life and enjoy it because life's a journey not a destination. And remember the light at the end of the tunnel, maybe you, well, what the fuck are you doing right now? What, are, are you just gassed up? Are you, have you not slept? Like what? Wax dipping, honey, what do you say? I got a brand new record that I got to play. She says, not now, boy, but I did anyway. Cause I'm ready. So ready. Ciao. You're just excited to be back and buddy, we are too. I can't believe it's really happening. We're recording a, uh, a new piece of content here today. We're going to be talking Bret Hart's 1994 and Bret Hart's 1995. And man, I'm pumped for that, but I got to tell you, break the rules. What, what you, okay, go ahead. I'm, I see. I'm, I haven't talked to you in forever. I just want to talk. And, and it's like, I feel like I'm jumping all over you and just cutting you off, but go ahead. I'm sorry. You're not cutting me off. I'm excited that you're able to record. But listen, before we talk about the old stuff, I know we don't talk about the new stuff. I'm not going to put the screws to you on anything new. However, it does feel like if you wanted to say anything at all to your loyal and faithful audience that has tuned in with their fingers crossed every Friday for an extended period of time, I haven't heard from you. Is there anything you would like to share or talk about or discuss? You know what? I, I, I think that. More than anything, thank you. Thank you, and I do love you. I really and truly do. No, that's not a gimmick. I love you. I actually like you and love you and appreciate you, the fact that you would actually continue to come in and listen to some of our megasodes that we have put together that are like, holy cow, we said that? We did that? (laughs) You know what? Um, So thanks for hanging in there, and times have been crazy, and as I said earlier, it's 
a period in time that will go down um, as one of the pivotal points um, in in the world in which I have existed in the last uh, damn near 60 years. So it's, it's pretty crazy, but you know, it's, you want to bite your tongue. At least I do. I I have to bite my tongue. I I can't come out and, and say things when things are reported incorrectly or just out and out falsehood and out, and out lies. And sometimes it really irritates me and sometimes it it doesn't. And I'm not in a position where I can really comment on some of those, but it's for those that choose to be negative and want to believe the negative, then you're a negative person and that's what you're going to do. So have at it. I'm not going to try and change anything else. But I do have to say, because it's something that people even internally would come to me with and, and make comments about that, that I was writing NXT, that I changed <laughs> NXT and that I was writing NXT. And I never said a word. Yeah. You know what else I never did, Conrad? What's up? I never wrote one NXT show in the history of my existence. Right. I am a fan of NXT. I love NXT. And Shawn Michaels recently came out and talked about how, no, it's been me. It's been me since day one. And I think Shawn has done a tremendous job of grabbing NXT by the horns and doing what he's done. And I love Shawn Michaels to death. But the fact that Shawn finally came out and said, what are you guys talking about? (laughs) You know, no, I never have. So to those pundits out there, the dirt sheet writers that reported as fact, not, hey, rumors are. No, they reported as fact that I had been involved in NXT and doing all that stuff. The, the fact of the matter is that uh, they were 100% just fabricated lie. From where? I don't know. And so now that they've heard it from two different sources that are actually there, that actually know, um, they should probably consider their sources or just stop making things up. And that's there. That's I just I, I just found it so funny when in an interview, so many different things going on. And Sean said, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and comment on that just because. Uh, so many people like were dying on that soapbox and wanted to uh, have my head. And then it's those who want my head going to want my head. Hey, man, here, have at it. But uh, no, I love what I do. I love uh, where I'm at, what I'm doing, with whom I do it with. So uh, get over it, man. It's not all about what you think you perceive. Reality is reality, and perception can be reality too. But when your reality is based on a perception that you have no idea about, that's just wrong. Guys, I can't brag on it enough. Chili sleep is a regular part of my life. I've got one on my side of the bed. My wife has one on her side of the bed. We've got a second master upstairs. We got one there. You know, we're remodeling a lake house. We got one there. I travel with one. Chili Sleep is one of my favorite brands in my life, not just on this show, but in my life. And if they stopped promoting and advertising on this show tomorrow, guess what? I'm still going to tell everybody in my life about Chili Sleep. 
It has changed my life. Prior to chilly sleep, I would toss and turn. I would fight with the covers. I would fidget with the pillow. I'd crank down the AC and cool off my whole house. And now I do none of that. I have no trouble falling asleep, staying asleep. And man, I don't wake up feeling tired. I give all the credit to chilly sleep. But what about the in-between time? Baby, I got bright, vivid, colorful dreams. That tells me I'm getting high quality sleep. What I'm talking about is Chili Sleep's Uller. Now, they also make the Cube Sleep System. Either way, we're talking hydropower, temperature controlled mattress. What the hell's a mattress? I, I meant mattress. You know what I mean? It's a mattress topper. It fits over your existing mattress. What's a mistress? Anyway, it's going to give you your ideal sleep temperature. Let me explain. I like to sleep with mine at about 65 degrees. My wife likes to sleep, likes to sleep with hers a little warmer than that. This past winter, she would crank hers up into the eighties. You can even set it to where it's on an automated schedule. So you climb into a warm bed, but then it cools you off during your sleep. But then when it's time to wake up, it'll warm you up to wake you up. Chili sleep is amazing. I love it so much. And if you're having trouble getting through your day, if you're feeling sluggish or tired, buddy, you're not getting the right kind of sleep. I'm telling you, I'm more productive. I feel better than ever. And all the credit goes to chili sleep. Uh, now head over, see it for yourself. I'm serious. I want you to just look at it. It costs nothing to look. Head over to chillysleep.com forward slash wrestle to learn more and save 30% off the purchase of any new cube or Uller sleep system. This offer is available exclusively for something to wrestle with listeners and only for a limited time. That's chilly C H I L I sleep.com slash wrestle to take advantage of our exclusive discount and wake up feeling refreshed every day. This mother's day and father's day, look no further for the perfect gift than paintyourlife.com. It's worked for me every time. And when I say every time, I mean it. I've used paintyourlife.com to bring tears to the eyes of my mom, my dad, even my father-in-law. And right now I'm ordering one for my mother-in-law all from paintyourlife.com. My mother-in-law's life is her dog, Missy. And this year, my wife and I knew exactly what to get my mother-in-law for mother's day, a painting of Missy. It really is that simple too. All we needed was a, a picture from our phone. Boom. We're up and running. You see, paintyourlife.com can really create a hand painted portrait to fit almost any budget. And it's the perfect gift for your mother, your father, or both. I've used it, as I said, on almost every person in my life. I've given these to my wife. I've given it to my cousin, my mom, my dad, my father-in-law. If I'm looking to give a truly meaningful, personable gift, I know the painterlife.com has my back and they're going to make it easy. You can go ahead and start the entire process in less than five minutes. And what's really cool about painterlife.com is they can even combine photos. Maybe you want to put two people who never met in one of your favorite vacation spots. You can do that. Just upload the photos. Bam. You're good to go. Maybe grandpa never got to meet his grandson with painterlife.com. That can become a reality. You can put people and places together. Even if they've never been there, you pick the artist, you pick the medium. Do you want oil, acrylic, watercolor, charcoal? You can even go ahead and pick out an awesome frame. The whole process to get started, as I said, takes less than five minutes and you can actually get your painting in as little as two weeks, but you work hand in hand with the artist to get every detail. Perfect. If you're looking to get those waterworks going to have your mom or your dad tear that paper and just almost be overcome with emotion. That's what I got. And I've never gotten that reaction to a gift card. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at paintyourlife.com. There's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. 
And right now as a limited time offer, get 20% off your painting. That's right. 20% off and free shipping. Now to get this special offer, just text the word wrestle to eight, seven, two, zero, four. That's wrestle to eight, seven, two, zero, four text wrestle to eight, seven, two, zero, four paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. It does feel like at times wrestling fans, you know, we do have an, an, an insatiable thirst for more information about how the sausage is made. And there was a lot of jokes this past summer about, oh, WWE is like an HBO episode of succession or, or whatever. And so we get this sort of, I don't know if paranoia or conspiracy theory is the right way to do it, but it does become a little bit humorous to see where people sort of jump to some of these conclusions. And for instance, you know, while you and I don't really ever talk about stuff and I just know you're so, you were so consumed with main roster stuff. You weren't doing anything with NXT, but it's, it's cool that some of that is coming to the surface now. And, and I can't help, but think five or 10 years or whenever from now, when the story of these last couple of years, starting at the pandemic to now, this has to be one of the most, I use the term exciting, but it's gotta be just unusual. Like it's unlike any other stretch of time in wrestling history, not just WWE, but wrestling history. Right. I I think kind of when you look at it in business history in a lot of respects yeah, and to be a part of it, it is huge. And, and, you know, one day it's like, people don't even understand the role and, and I won't get into it because it isn't anyone's business, but even the role in which I'm involved. So it's, um, Oh yeah, it's a great time, man. It's, it's exciting as hell. And to the, um, people in the self-proclaimed wrestling media that have never actually been inside of a wrestling company or understand, uh, or even in, inside of a corporate you know, a major corporation to understand how things are done. It's, it it amazes me the, the things that they can get away with reporting as fact and reporting as is. So, um, that's it, man. That's, you know, that's, that's where I'm at and I'm happy as can be to tell you the truth. So, um, not that I wasn't telling you the truth, before. I just went through oh, this we know what you before mean. because I go through the grand jury thing about, well, to be quite honest with you, well, Mr. Pritchard, we would hope that you would be quite honest with us and all of your responses today, since you are under oath. Um, so yeah, I try to watch that. Well, we're hoping that you're watching a little Bret Hart 94, 95 so far in our archives, we've covered Brett's 1993, his 1996 and his 1997. So we're going to try today to fill in the gaps and talk about 94 and 95. Uh, by the way, you can check out all of this in the archives over at something to wrestle.com. 
but let's start with 94, the buildup to the Royal rumble 94. It's going to be Brett and Owen challenging the tag team champs, the Quebecers. Uh, they seemingly have buried the hatchet on Christmas day after they're falling out at survivor series. And it's long been rumored that it was actually your old pal, Jerry Jarrett, who I know you saw not too long ago, who pushed for this program. What say you, do you remember Jerry being a big advocate for the hearts and the Quebecers? No, sure. Don't, you know, it was more than anything. When you look at the entire Brett Owen story, I believe I've said it before. Uh, the Brett Owen story came out of an idea from Bruce Hart that Bruce had written out. Bruce had pitched it to Vince and the heart that was going to turn on Brett was going to be Bruce. And it was a incredible story. It's a great story, but I don't know that Vince was in a place where he, uh, wanted, I don't know if Vince didn't not want to do it with Bruce, but he went to Brett and Brett liked the story too, but Brett really wanted to do it with Owen yeah, and felt that Owen was the guy to, to do the turn and that, uh, his little brother, you know, felt that Owen had the chops to do it and that it was Owen's time. So that's how the, that whole story kind of came to fruition. It's uh it's a remarkable thing to go back and watch Brett and Owen together and just think about what could have been if they had more time together. And on January 11th, there's an awesome tag with Brett and Owen versus the Steiner brothers at a TV taping in Florence, South Carolina. The match wound up being taped for Coliseum video and was eventually released on WrestleFest 94. If you can go dig that up, you should. As a little kid, man, the Steiners were my absolute favorite. And at this point, I don't think there was much debate. Brett's probably the best wrestler in the world. And Owen might've been the best wrestler in his family. He just didn't always have the platform for it. So to see those four guys mixing it up, I can only imagine what a treat that was, Bruce. From people that really like to see that tag team action in the way that the Steiners could deliver it. The Steiners were, uh, an amazing tag team and the brother dynamic is something that's hard to hard to beat as well. So you had two brother tag teams in the hearts and the Steiners in and of itself is a great story. Um, so yeah, I think it was two of the greatest tag teams of all time, mixing it up. Let's talk uh, a little bit about, uh, January 17th. We have a, a pretty cool opportunity at Madison square garden. It's a special house show, Royal rumble. Brett gets to the final four. Um, you know, you're right before trying to sell the Royal rumble pay-per-view and now you're running that same sort of match in your big market and your big building, your quote unquote home. Do you think that in hindsight was the right call to run this match just five days before the traditional pay-per-view or is it a way to just draw more attention to the pay-per-view and I'm overthinking it. You're way overthinking it. It's attraction. It's an attraction that people will want to see live in, in their hometown. So the, the match itself is an attraction in and of itself. The stakes weren't the same, but at the same time, here is an incredible match that's different every time you do it. So to be able to see it right there in your hometown of Huntsville, Alabama, not to say that anyone would ever do one there, would be the Huntsville Rumble Royal. 
I like that. The Huntsville Rumble Royal. Okay. Well, if I run that, never mind. Uh, the last, this is the last time there would be a WWE on a pay-per-view in the U S on a Saturday until WrestleMania has began airing over two nights in 2020. I know that once upon a time, I mean, I remember as a kid, the pay-per-views would move around. I remember there being pay-per-views on Monday. And of course there was the Tuesday in Texas and blah, blah, blah. But talk to me about that. Why did Vince land on Sunday? Or is that a pay-per-view company call where they felt like the big boxing matches and stuff could interfere on Saturday or college football or why did Sunday become the pay-per-view day for so long? I think Sunday was a pay-per-view day because Sunday normally was family day and being able to look at times that families all get together and, you know, watch football games and have family dinner. Then you could sit down and watch a huge pay-per-view extravaganza. So Sunday's where we landed. Uh, I think that Saturday night's a great night for pay-per-view as well, but that's where we landed was Sunday night. And even going back, being a part of, you know, the Wednesday nights, the Thanksgiving Eve tradition, you know, Thursday nights, Tuesday night in Texas, Monday night, just different nights. Um, because that was when the event was booked. Well, let's put it on pay-per-view versus booking the pay-per-view and then, so it was um, just as you develop and you grow and you learn things and you try to get people into a habit. And that was the once a month Sunday night habit. This episode is brought to you by CarShield, who makes it easy and affordable to protect my car from expensive repairs. And that's just for starters. CarShield is the number one auto protection company in the U.S. and offers protection plans for around 100 bucks a month. The plans cover more parts than ever before, whether your car has 5,000 miles or 150,000 miles. Let me tell you how simple it is to get your car fixed. When you need a repair, you choose the mechanic, and CarShield's administrators handle the rest. That's it. You don't have to deal with the paperwork or headaches you're taken care of. Same goes if your car breaks down and you're stuck on the side of the road. Plans through CarShield also include coast-to-coast roadside assistance. CarShield administrators are there for you with rental car options and trip reimbursement at no extra cost too. Get coverage today and you'll lock in your price now and it will never go up. That means as long as you own your car, no matter how old it is, you're protected from the rising cost of parts and repairs for your vehicle. CarShield helps protect my wallet from expensive car repairs and they'll do the same for you. Go to carshield.com slash podcast to start your plan and lock in your pricing forever that's carshield.com slash podcast a deductible may apply of course this is where owen kicked breg's leg out from under his leg after brett was injured breg's leg out from underneath his leg you remember that i do remember that very well uh it's one of the more famous owen interviews of all time and I mean, I know that people poke fun at it, but it became a memorable deal. And I mean, I still have friends of mine who were at their peak of their wrestling fandom and they remember it as being one of their favorite moments. Of course, the idea here is Brett's being helped to the back, selling the knee injury. Owen's doing this interview from the backstage area, but it airs on the big screen in the, in the heat of the moment like that, you know, those little word slips happen. We're going to do several here on, on this particular program. 
do you remember anybody being upset that Owen flubbed the line a little? No, it's live. It's in the moment. And I think that when you engross yourself in the passion of what just happened and the fact little brother now is venting on big brother, I don't think, I don't think that many people noticed it right until later. Uh, Brett then goes on to, of course, win the Royal rumble match, uh, with Yay! Lex Luger after teasing that Brett wouldn't even be able to compete in the match and the pop America. when Brett does appear is gigantic. Is that a Pat Patterson special right there? The spirit of 76 or whatever. It's a goddamn miracle. Connie. Spe- it's a miracle. I mean, how many people have won the rumble after they've had their leg kicked out of their leg? Brett's the only one I know of. That's one one I had one time where a guy got his fingers stuck out of his thumb. Talk to me. Talk to me a little bit about the finish here. You know, I know that Brett's the professional. I'm not saying Luger's not talented, but clearly as far as being a ring general, I don't think anybody would compare the two. But to pull off a finish where it looks like the guys are touching at the almost exact same time. Is this something they practice a bunch or is it simply Brett just saying, follow me? Bret Hart, man, Bret Hart. And I, I would defy anybody really to, to show me where they didn't touch at the same time because Brett controlled it all and Brett owned it and killed it. But you had to take a whole bunch of different precautions, right? With oh the, yeah, man. Yeah. You want different, you want different versions. You want different angles that can make an argument for any and everybody. The beauty of it was, is that it was done to perfection so well that it's like, I got no argument. You know what I mean? So the execution of that was the, uh, excellence of execution in Bret Hart. Let's talk a little bit about Lex Luger. By the way, I want to give a plug. You guys cranked out a few weeks ago on A and E, a WWE Legends special on Lex Luger. I think it's one of the best pieces that I've seen on wrestling in a long, long time. I thought you guys hit a home run with it. Lex Luger, the human being today, is an unbelievable person. I mean, such a positive person, such an example of what's possible and just the human spirit and blah blah blah. But the way he would own the missteps in his life and just take full responsibility, I, I, it's a great piece of business. If you're on the fence about Lex Luger, but you love nostalgia or you love Lex Luger, whatever the circumstance, go out of your way to see that. And you're all over it. Did you have a chance to see that A&E piece? I did. what did you think? I did. I thought, it, I thought it was very well done. And to the point of Lex owning everything, I thought that it was a very good piece because it could have been something that left people with a taste in their mouth that Lex wasn't a very good guy and it changed a lot of people's opinions. I do also think that Lex, you know, is Lex grew older and went down the avenues that Lex went that Lex grew and grew into a different person as well. Yeah. So I, I think Lex changed uh, on top of it, and to me, it's a it's a very good story, and it's something that is to me. I, I think it has a happy ending. I think it ha- has a happy ending, and yes. um, Lex found himself, and Lex is in a good place, and I'm really, really happy for him. Go out of your way to check it out. It's a A and E biography, WWE legends, Lex Luger, whatever it is. It's fantastic. Go find it. 
Uh, there's a coin toss to determine now who's going to get the first title shot against Yokozuna at WrestleMania, because damn it, Lex Luger just lost his opportunity at SummerSlam. He deserves another crack at it. He kind of won the rumble at the exact same time as Brett. So they're both going to get title shots and Lex says, or Lex wins and, and, and to make it fair, Brett's also going to have a match earlier in the night versus his match, uh, with his brother Owen. So let's just talk about that for a minute. Had Lex won, then the match that would have went on last would have been Brett versus Lex for the world title. Of course, we know Yoko is going to win. So it winds up being Brett versus Yoko. But either way, nobody was talking about the match that happened last. Everybody's going to be talking about the match that happened first. And we're going to as well. But before we get there, I want to mention that on the WWF's all American wrestling TV show, where Vince is hosting at the time, he does separate sit down interviews with both Brett and Owen. Brett is now turned around to the idea that he will fight his brother. Of course, previously brothers never fight, which we've Bro, talked about. Damn, brothers never fight. Yeah. Doesn't happen. But the sit downs with, with Vince, this is something that we didn't see him do a lot. We saw him do it a couple of times with Hogan, but to get that same treatment with Brett and Owen, it does make it feel bigger. Doesn't it? It was a, it was a bigger story. And I think that it was a personal story that needed to be told outside of the confines of a wrestling ring. And you have a family dynamic that no matter who you are, if you have a sibling, you understand it, you get it. And to, to take, take it out of the ring for a minute where people go, Oh, well that, you know, the ring is one thing and what happens, but then what happens behind the scenes? What, what happens at Christmas? Does Brett get served first at Christmas dinner? When they're cutting the turkey on Thanksgiving Day, does Brett get a little bit more mashed potatoes and dressing? Well, he should. Because he's their favorite. That's why. Mm. Because Brett's the favorite. Mm. And Owen, being the youngest, came last and has always had to have hand-me-downs. He's always had to wear Brett's old shoes, Brett's old pants, never got anything new. Owen never got to go to the store to pick out his clothes. No, he got what Brett got because Brett was more in the middle. Brett got to get new clothes. He got everything handed to him. So when you explain those things to anyone who has a similar situation in their life, I think that your little sister can identify Conrad. Oh, listen. I think she can I think she could watch this and say, Yeah, that's right. Connie always did get the bigger piece of turkey. Well, I deserved it. Connie always got the first slice of pumpkin pie. I don't need pumpkin pie. She can have mine. Only because you didn't want it. Correct. But mom made you special stuff. She did. I know. I can relate to that. I can relate to CJ, okay? I can relate to it, okay? Yeah. So there's always people that can relate to it. And that was the beauty of telling this story. You got to tell it in a little different way other than just in the ring. I'm going to kick your butt. There is a real jealousy and a real feeling of hatred. It's just your older brothers and they all suck because they get everything. Just saying that I had a little input on this. 
All right, so by now you guys know that I've got a big weekend coming at the end of the month. That means there might be a little bit of alcohol involved. I'm looking forward to it, but I'm also taking Z-Biotics. Because, man, I can't afford to waste a day. And at my age, and, uh, well, you're probably close to my age. I'm 41. I got a bunch of stuff to do tomorrow, man. And it feels like I'm saying that every single day. So I can't feel like, well, less than. And if I'm going to drink alcohol, a lot of times that's the result the next day. So here's my little life hack Z-Biotics. Let me explain. Z-Biotics pre-alcohol probiotic is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. And here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Z-Biotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. It's designed to work like your liver, but in your gut where you need it most. Just remember to drink Z-Biotics before drinking alcohol, drink responsibly, and get a good night's sleep to feel your best tomorrow. And the first time I tried Z-Biotics was like, I don't know, three or four months ago. And I have to admit, I was a little skeptical. But buddy, I drank it exactly as instructed right before I consumed any alcohol. And I was just amazed at how good I felt the next day. It was like I drank nothing at all. Every time I have a Z-Biotics before drinking, it makes such a difference the next day. I can't recommend it enough. Go give it a try yourself. Go to zbiotics.com forward slash wrestle to get 15% off your first order when you use wrestle at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with a 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. Remember, head to zbiotics.com slash wrestle and use the promo code wrestle at checkout for 15% off. And we thank zbiotics for sponsoring today's episode. There's a WWF tour in Europe and Israel in February of 94. Uh, Brett's usually working against Yoko each night, which makes sense because Brett's probably your most popular international star, maybe domestically too, but supposedly his fanfare over there was the next level, right, dude? Yeah, Brett was, uh, I think Brett was an international megastar long before he was in, in the continental United States of America, America um, and Canada. And, and this is a, this is the era where Vince realizes, Hey man, if our business might be down a little bit here domestically, it's not internationally. So these tours become very important. There's eight separate European tours in 94, where Germany is one of the stops. Uh, so think about that. Germany got eight separate shows in 94. Brett's on nearly every tour. And, uh, he has a great match with your brother, Tom on February 21st on Monday night raw in Poughkeepsie. And I think this was one of their only times ever working together. Do you know if Tom enjoyed working with Brett? I think they did. Yeah, I think they did. The two older brother pieces of garbage. Owen and I secretly were hoping that they would just beat the hell out of each other. So you're the Owen of the family. No, Owen was the Bruce of the family. Oh, I see. I said, okay. Uh-huh. Uh, in the run up to WrestleMania, Brett and Owen first go against each other in several tag matches on the road. I'm sure it's to the point where they could do this match with their eyes closed in the dungeon, but it probably is important for them to have some reps before a big event like WrestleMania. Uh, crush is going to pin Bret Hart in the March to WrestleMania 10 special. It's shown just a week before the pay-per-view and that happens in large part, thanks to Owen's interference, but it's pretty good storytelling, you know, to, uh, keep people guessing. And we all know the story of WrestleMania 10, you've laid it out, but did you think 
Brett had extra pressure on himself to help for lack of a better word, quote unquote, make Owen here. You know, I, I, no, I don't think so. I, I truly believe that in Brett's head, Owen was already made and that Brett was giving him that Avenue to display it. I think that in many ways it was a relief for Brett knowing that he was going to work with Owen because it made Brett happy that he got to work with his brother every night and enjoyed it and felt that Owen really deserved the recognition that Owen was about to have heaped on him. And so I think that there was, I don't think there was ever a doubt in Brett's mind that Owen was not going to be the perfect opponent, perfect foil for him for a hell of a run. Well, now I'm not arguing that at all. I just know that there's a different thing between, you know, being the boys favorite and, and being a guy who's having great matches on house shows and, and being a guy who has a good match on Monday night raw. And then you're opening WrestleMania with the guy who was in the main event the prior year and is going to win it all that night. It's a, it's a big opportunity for Owen. And I could see how that would be oh, huge. Not only a big huge. deal for Owen, but a big deal for Brett just to be able to have that opportunity for his brother. Yes. And it was huge, but I don't know. Um, I don't know how to put this. I think that both guys were nervous as any great performer is every time he steps into the ring. I think that there was an expectation and that it was more of a feeling of let's just go do this. It's time. You know what I mean? Let's go do this, man. We're here. And it, it wasn't a God. I hope, I hope this works out. It was no man. Let's go show them what we can do and do it. Ultimately, we know the match itself. I mean, if you're looking for a match to watch from Bret Hart's 94, this is probably as good as it's going to get him and Owen, just fantastic storytelling. And then later in the night in the main event on the 10th anniversary, the 10th WrestleMania in Madison square garden, Bret Hart wins the world title again. And his, uh, you know, his comrades lift him up on their shoulders and what a nice visual and it goes down as one of the greatest one night performances in WWF history at that point. I'm sure. And oh, by the way, they had a pretty famous ladder match along the way. WrestleMania 10, man, criminally underrated. Some really, really good matches on that show. Some great matches and great storytelling all the way through. <laughs> and I got chewed out and cussed out by Burt Reynolds that night. So it was excellent. Brett and Owen are generally headlining all the house shows through the spring and summer of 94. So if I had to guess, this is probably the biggest run of paydays that Owens had either on this WrestleMania revenge tour. There's a mixed bag of houses at the time, because again, it is 94 business is a little down, but there's times where like on May 20th, you draw 15,000 folks to MSG. And that's pretty good, especially then. Uh, but only 5,000 folks to the spectrum a month later in Philadelphia. Do you think this was just cyclical? Because we hear a lot of times that people say, oh, the business is cyclical. Or were they just not that into Brett and Owen, do you think? I think it was more kind of residual. Um, and the business wasn't, you know, that red hot at that point. And I just think that it was kind of residual of what was before. Uh, the WWF promoted their own tour of Japan for the first time in May of 94. That's where we would see Brett defeat Randy Savage in his final WWF title match on one of those shows. But 
The tour is deemed largely a flop. There's small crowds each night. Do you think these were sold shows? Did the WWF just not have the right partner, right marketing approach? Why wasn't the Japan experiment more successful? I don't think that it, there was a, I don't think it was a good partner. I don't think that we had a good partner that was able to go in, um, and sponsor the show and buy the shows. It was looked at from, you know, you, you see what new Japan and all Japan and you get the response. They, they want our product, but it was trying to promote it from the United States versus having a promoter in Japan promote it locally. I think that would have made a big difference. I think that it was just not the strongest sponsor and strongest promoter that we had locally. Uh, the King of the ring in, uh, June of June of, uh, 94 here in Baltimore sees the return of Jim, the anvil Neidhart in Brett's corner for his match with diesel. And he's supposedly here to counteract Sean who's in diesel's corner. Uh, how was Neidhart decided to bring back in the fold? Is this one of those infamous stew phone calls or big, Brett's got, Maybe uh, that fucking rhino, uh, that uh, that night night hurt. You know, uh, Ellie L's got him. Uh, she's uh, got him in a good place, and, and that uh, uh, he put him in. Uh, yeah, he, he he got a spat for him. Uh, he's, uh, he's 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 doing good now. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So the big nasty rhino, he makes sure that Brett keeps the title. Uh, and then, uh, he also causes Owen to win the King of the ring tournament later in the night. So that keeps the feud going into SummerSlam. So it's kind of cool. You go back and you take a look, Brett won King of the ring in 93, his brother, Owen wins at 94. who just happens to be feuding with Brett. And then on July 11th, one, two, three kid, Sean Waltman has what to this day he says is his favorite match he ever had with Brett. So if you're looking for another great match, July 11th, raw, 1994, one, two, three kid and Brett. And it's been said over the years that Sean Waltman was kind of the measuring stick. When there was a new guy who would come into the company, Vince would say, Hey, let's go see what he's got. And Sean's report. When he came back through the curtain, carried a lot of weight. Hey man, this guy's got it. This guy's ready. Hey, he's closer. Uh, this guy sucks. That is the rumor and innuendo that we've heard as fans, but it feels like Brett was really the gold standard for great matches. Was he not? Yeah, Brett was. I mean, Brett went out and had a match with Tom McGee and made everybody think <laughs> he was the second coming. So absolutely. You know, Brett Hart could literally have a match with a broomstick and make the broomstick look like a million bucks. Yeah. Well, they, he didn't have to do it with a broomstick. He did it with Sean Waltman. Go watch it. July 11th, 1994. Fantastic match. Uh, we have the first ever show in the Philippines, Czechoslovakia, China, and Singapore. The company has never been to these countries before, but they're going in July of 94. And it's all headlined with Brett versus Owen. So, and, and listen, I realize that there's a contingent of folks out there who would, I would call Brett haters. And I've unfairly been categorized as one of those guys. But I was a Hulk Hogan guy, but at the same time, Hulk Hogan never took the WWF to Philippines or Czechoslovakia or China or Singapore. And Brett is a huge draw over there and super popular. So you guys are trying some more non-domestic spots. What'd you think of, uh, 
some of these, these newfound lands that WWE's enjoying success. You know, it's interesting in that, um, you think about, as we just talked about earlier and family that in other nationalities and in other parts of the world, family doesn't fight and, and, it, and it's frowned upon considerably. So I think that that, um, you have to weigh that into when you go, when you go in there with a, angle like this some got it some didn't and i don't think we did a lot of explanation necessarily either to push that family dynamic versus two great athletes dynamic it is july my friends and the temperatures aren't the only thing that's rising this summer that's right this episode of something to wrestle is sponsored by blue chew guys listen up confidence can take you far in life and it can also help you in the bedroom especially when it comes time to step up to the plate and well you know that's where blue chew comes in blue chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as viagra and cialis but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost you can take them anytime day or night so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises the process is simple sign up at bluechew.com consult with one of their licensed medical providers and once you're approved you'll receive your prescription within days and the best part it is all done online so no visits to the doctor's office no awkward conversations and no waiting in line at the pharmacy i know how much of a pain that can be we got no time to wait anymore these days you don't have to do any of that and blue chews tablets are made in the usa and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet package and with blue chew men everywhere are excited to see the postman because when your package has arrived well your package has actually arrived so if you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform blue chew is there to help and we got a special deal for our listeners try blue chew free when you use our promo code wrestle at checkout just pay five dollars shipping that's bluechew.com promo code wrestle to receive your first month free visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information and as always we thank blue chew for sponsoring this podcast Woo Wings, a virtual restaurant concept from the man himself, the nature boy, Ric Flair. Enjoy the legendary flavors and world championship wings by ordering with your Uber Eats or Postmates app. Woo Wings is now open in Nashville, San Antonio, Jacksonville, Florida, as well as Huntsville and Tuscaloosa in Alabama, with many more locations coming soon. Try the only chicken wings worthy of carrying the name of the 16-time world heavyweight champion. Tell them, Nate. Wings! Legendary flavors! World championship wings! Woo! Woo wings! Yeah! Woo-woo! We uh, we get some more house show matches in July and August where we see marathon matches. These are 60-minute time limit matches. We know eventually they're going to be called Iron Man matches. They get mixed attendance reviews. 4,000 at the Meadowlands on July 8th. 3,100 at the Nassau Coliseum the next day. 7,000 in LA on the 29th. Back down to just 1,800 at the Spectrum on August 6th. Is Vince starting to panic a little bit here where it feels like 
man, we're not getting any real sustained momentum or is that even something you guys talked about? Yeah, no, it, it was. And there's a feeling sometimes about where people yearning for the larger than life Hulk Hogan type champion and character, which Brett was not. So it was a re-education process. And there were many debates as to do we continue on with the re-educationing of the audience or, you know, do we make a change and find that larger than life superhero to place in that spot and, and find that next guy. And we decided let's kind of hold firm with Brett right now. Let's, let's see what we've got. Let, let's keep going and try to hopefully re-educate our audience. And it wasn't just in the States. It was international. It was everywhere. So as you're trying to find maybe the right opponent for Brett, he defeats Bob Backlund in a match that airs on superstars on July 30th. And this is the now famous match where Backlund snaps after the match and turns heel and essentially becomes Mr. Backlund. Did Vince know that this was the direction he wanted to go, that Backlund might be a transitional champ, might get some sniffs at the main event, or was it, Hey, this is a former champion who we want to make sure he has a good match. And well, we know Brett can do it. And that's how it happened. Well, (laughs) I think, you know, this was something that, that Pat and I really wanted to try because you never got your Bob Backlund heel run right in the seventies. Bobby was, I don't know that Bob was ever this guy that people say, oh, he's a dynamic worker. He's this, he's that. But the real human being, Bob Backlund, who believes in himself and and there's not a bad bone in Bob Backlund's body. You could view that kind of heelish. Right. And so we thought, what if we just had Bobby go over the edge a little bit? And uh, what better foil for Backlund then Bret Hart, because, uh, you know, Brett was all that shit. Right. So it was an experiment. We weren't sure if it was going to work. We really weren't. And that's why we, we looked at, we were concentrated in the Northeast a little bit at that time, more so than usual. And um, I think we were in, where the hell were we? Ocean City, Maryland for that. Um, and it was... It was bizarro land, but the audience, man, they, they took to it and they were so pissed and we looked at each other and went, Hmm, we may have something here because Vince wasn't, Vince wasn't around for a lot of this. You know, he was, he was doing other things and, um, it was, we were experimenting we were getting out there with some different stuff, but I thought it worked. I thought that the, especially that traditional Northeastern uh, uh, audience that was so used to the red, white, and blue Bob Backlund that they're like, hey, no, nah, wait a minute, man. That was my guy. So what did Brett pretty- think of this idea? It feels like part of him would have really respected <laughs> the, the legacy of what he did. But at the other time, he had to be like, what the fuck, man? It was more of like, what the fuck, man? It was more like, 
I got to fucking work with him every night now. Um, well, cause you had a famous saying on here years ago when, when you're trying to make the transition from Hulk Hogan to Bret Hart. And you would say that a lot of times the thing around the office that was said is what would we do for Hogan? And I'm not saying this to be weird. I don't think we would have ever seen Backlund Hogan. Oh God. If I had the opportunity to Backlund Hogan, then I would have done it in a heartbeat. That would have been even bigger for Bobby. Bobby would have had so much fucking material to work with there. Oh my God. <laughs> because Hogan was so opposite of right. Backlund. Whereas Brett is kind of all the things that Bobby kind of stands up for, except for the long, greasy hair. And, you know, we came up with things, but. It was just the, um, I, I thought they had great matches. Oh, they had tremendous matches that I loved watching, but I wasn't in the ring working with him. <laughs> so, uh, it was what it was. It's amazing to me that this is something we're even really discussing that Bob Backlund had a run man, but he did. And, uh, I'm sure there was nobody who was more thrilled about that than, than Brett, uh, SummerSlam 94, August 29th from United center in Chicago. Uh, Brett is going to defeat Owen in the classic cage match. All the family members get involved after, and Davey boy is back in the WWF now too, to keep the feud going, but thank God taker versus faker went on in the main event. What in the world? Tell us about this classic cage match and how it was somehow not the main event. The main event was the return of the undertaker. And for the first time ever, it was, oh my God, can you imagine having the undertaker versus the undertaker? It's a once in a lifetime opportunity here, pal. So that was the attraction and Owen and Brett went about 20 minutes heavy in their match. And, uh, it wasn't like you had a, an experienced undertaker against an experienced undertaker. <laughs> you had the undertaker against, um, someone who wasn't that experienced at being the undertaker. So they needed that time that having to cut their time in half was, was not a pleasant thing. I don't know if that would have helped any more or not, but at the same time, it uh, wasn't an ideal situation. The post SummerSlam European tour in Germany, uh, is going to happen in September. So we got Brett and Randy Savage defeating Owen and Neidhart every night. And these would be some of Savage's final matches in the company before leaving in November. What was his and Brett's relationship like? I think it was good. I think Randy liked Brett and vice versa. You know, they were just two, uh, two old second generation guys that going down the road and had the same respect and appreciation of the business. Um, I want to mention that in the UK, we got Brett and Davey boy teaming up because obviously Davey's over like Rover there and they're going to beat Owen and Neidhart on each show. They're ever going to do that back in the U S and can and, and Canada before eventually it becomes. Brett versus Neidhart on the heart attack tour. And they're going to co-headline with undertaker and Yokozuna in casket matches. That feels like this era in a nutshell, Brett and undertaker on top somewhere, right? 94, 95. Yeah. And the heart attack tour was so cool, man, because of the logo, you had the heart attack, 
So you had a heart, but then you also had Undertaker in it. So it was like Undertaker giving you a heart attack. It was, it was cool. It was a pretty cool logo. The first ever episode of Action Zone aired on October 23rd, 1994. This replaced All-American Wrestling. The format had begun to fade off after 11 years on the air. And Brett and Owen is heavily pushed as the main event. And uh, I guess it's important for uh, you to have a big main event like this to get this new show off the ground. And it does improve the ratings. You get a 2.0 on a Sunday afternoon slot on the USA Network. Whereas the week before, it was just a 1.7. It's been said a lot of times that when WCW didn't know what to do, well, let's just try it. Ric Flair versus sting out there. Was it kind of like that for Brett in the main event with the right opponent in this era? Do you think? I just think it was luck of the draw at this point I got more you. than anything. So Brett's going to headline yet another European tour in November, this time versus King <laughs> Kong Bundy. <laughs> and, and at this point, if he wasn't already scratching his head about backland, He's got to be like, what the fuck, man? King Kong Bundy? Or did he like it? Because it was a different style. Bundy. Bundy, you're stealing money every time you go and cash a check. You're the shits, Bundy. Um, yeah. I don't think Brett was happy about Bundy. Can't imagine that he would have been thrilled with that. Survivor Series on November 23rd is back in San Antonio, this time on Thanksgiving Eve. Brett's going to lose the title to Backland. Of course, it's a submission match. And uh, we've got Owen's Academy Award winning uh, performance here, convincing us he all had compassion for Brett. He convinces his mother, Helen, to throw in the towel. And uh, there you go. Brett is no longer the champ. Do you think Brett knew the plan of Diesel at that point? Or how was it discussed with him? Because we know that. Backlund's only going to have the the title for a cup of coffee. You know, we were. I don't know. We knew the plan of diesel. Yes, we did. I mean, I'm not saying that was we, Hey, we were thinking about it and got there, but we needed to do this first. I don't know what Brett knew at that point, but it was okay. Let's try this thing and, and go from there. So Brett's going to take some extended time off between now and the end of the year, really for the first time in 10 years of working there, but it's not just because he wants to go heal up. He's also got an opportunity to be in lonesome dove where he's going to play Luther root. What'd you think of Brett in lonesome dove? I'm sure that was your kind of show. Yeah. Wasn't a whole lot of acting for Brett. You know, I think that it was kind of true to who he was. So it was simple to, he was kind of being himself in many respects, which I thought he did well on that show. The, um, January 9th show in Houston, Texas, we've got Brett returning this time to back up William Shatner on the King's court with Jerry Lawler. How many times do you think William Shatner had to practice that monkey flip Bruce? I know one time. That was it. Well, there you go. He was great. You know, the story I told you a story about Bill Shatner going to the airport. I don't remember that. So we had, we were shooting two shows that night. And so we really, uh, wanted bill for the second show. And I got kind of friendly with him and everything where he's doing everything, man. You talk about, uh, a pro from the word go. He was as William Shatner. He was fabulous to work with. Just excellent. And I threw at him and said, Hey, 
do you think after we do this, we could do one more with you for next week's show? It would be taped after this. He says, and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he didn't know the time. And then he looks at the time. He says, oh, hey, Bruce, I've got a flight. I, and if I miss this flight, I'm supposed to be on set in the morning at 8 o'clock in the morning. I can't miss this flight. I look at his ticket. I see that it's a United Airlines ticket or it may have been Continental at the time, whichever. And I said, I got you. He goes, I've heard that before. He goes, I, I said, Bill. I guarantee you will make your flight. He says, yeah, Bruce, I've heard that shit before. I just, I don't know. As soon as we finish with Raw, we will do your segment, and I will put you in a police car, and you will uh, be deadheaded to the airport. He says, yeah, but then I got to deal with the airport. I got you. So he does it. He says, okay, okay, but he's still like him and Hall, and he's calling his manager and all these people. And uh, we do the segment, take him right. I mean, I, I grab him right from backstage. I walk him right to the police car, put him in the front seat of the police car, and the cop takes off. Sirens blaring, lights going and all this shit. So I call my buddy, Continental. I said, hey, here's the deal. Bill Shatner's on this flight, Houston to LA. He uh, just left the arena. He should get there by whatever, 9.30. The flight's at 9.45. I just need to make sure that if anything happens, that he's on that flight. And he goes, oh, yeah, no problem. So everybody gets on the flight. and I'll be damned if that flight just didn't have a, uh, you know, well, we, we, we need some people to come in here and uh, take a look at the uh, thing in the Furnham snake that's on top of the snack pit and uh, what have you. And he calls me at the, and we were at the summit in Houston and calls me a little backstage hotline phone that we had. And it's him. And he says, Hey Bruce, uh, hang on. I'd like for you to talk to Heather, uh, in Houston and all that stuff. I go, Hey Heather, how you doing? And uh, she says, uh, Mr. Shatner is in four B sipping a scotch. Would you like to speak with him? And I said, as a matter of fact, I would. <laughs> and she takes the big, long, you know, the accordion phone all the way back to Shatner in 4B. And he gets on the phone. He says, hello. I said, I told you so, motherfucker. I don't think I said motherfucker, but I did say, I told you so. You're on the plane. You'll take off in a couple of minutes. Because I, I, he said, because they got a mechanical. I said, Bill, you're the mechanical. You're good to go. You'll be taking off in a few minutes. Have a great night. Have a great uh, whatever tomorrow and look forward to working with you soon. Awesome, awesome guy. But, yeah, he was – and they really didn't need it either. He would have made it on time. He was really on time. So I love now your baby facing it because you don't want people to think you – Cause them to be late, miss their connections. Cause it was in 1995 or whatever it was. And nobody missed any connections. It was a flight to LA. It's the last flight of the night. And they did leave on time and they, and they were able to speed because I got, I, I was able to get the plane. To, yeah, that's it. I was able to get the plane to speed up to get to LA. So they would have an early arrival because Shatner was on board. This yeah, is, there you're welcome. Are you channeling your best Paul Heyman right now? A bum no, with a piano. <laughs> <laughs> that's a real story. So, uh, 
later in the same show, Jeff Jarrett's going to defeat, uh, or, or Red Hart's going to defeat Jeff Jarrett. Well, it was the same taping, but it was the following week. Shatner's in his corner trying to counteract the roadie. Of course, he's there to promote his new show on the USA Network, Tech War. Uh, Brett and Owen continue their house show feud through the first few months of 95. No holds barred matches are the theme now, with Brett winning each time decisively with the sharpshooter. And now, as we get to the Royal Rumble in 95 in Tampa, on January 22nd, Brett's now got a shot at Diesel for the WWF title. <laughs> but they're two baby faces, Bruce. And, you know, I know we, we tried this a couple of times here or there, but two baby faces. You got a, a new hot baby face world champ, and now maybe the most established baby face champ that's on the roster, Brett. Did you think maybe somebody would get booed out of the building here? Is this a risk having a high profile match, babyface versus babyface like this? It is a risk. Yeah, absolutely it's a risk. But I think that Brett was the confidence was in Brett to be able to go out and if Brett needed to sway them one way or the other, I think there was confidence that he could do that. And Diesel was was very popular at the time, so when you book something like that, do you know, as soon as you put it on paper, it's going to be a, a, a non-clean finish. Cause you don't want to hurt either guy or am I overthinking that? Yeah, it depends. Look at the overall card. See what you got. So it ends in a big schmoz. Of course, lots of outside interference. The match is a draw. It leaves the door open for a rematch down the line. Uh, and Brett is now out of the main event for most of the next year and mostly working in a mid card role. How did Brett take to being out of the top spot. You know, I know that over the years, and I think everybody's cool these days, but once upon a time, some members of the click really had some fun poking fun at Brett and saying that, you know, Brett didn't care what the pay was or what the houses were. Brett just wanted to be champion. I don't know Brett that well. Did Brett just want to be champion or was he cool with being in the middle of the card? As long as, you know, the money and the miles were right or whatever the cliche is. I think Brett just always wanted to steal the show. There you go. I think that's Brett's mindset. Um, I'm sure he was looking at, he definitely would have loved to have been champion. Oh, sure. Why not? But I think he just wanted to steal the show every night. So a few to set up with a newcomer named Hakushi. Bless you. And the lead up to WrestleMania nine or 11 rather. And he's also beginning to rekindle his old feud with Jerry Lawler. Lawler is convincing Hakushi and his manager Shinja that Brett was racist to the Japanese people. It was a very strange angle. Brett's given a plaque as a result of a WWF magazine readers poll as to who epitomizes the new WWF or the new generation, whatever you want to call it. He also receives the award of the people and Lawler disputes this saying Japanese readers must've been excluded from the vote as there's no way they could vote for Brett. And Lawler would say Brett was making some uh, unkind remarks about the Japanese and flat out just calls Brett a racist. And this feels weird. And I know that we tried once upon a time to do the whole Yokozuna, Lex Luger, all American uh, USA versus Japan thing, but it feels like we're trying it again here, but I don't know. It just feels weird. Let's say you. Yeah, it definitely doesn't age well, but it, you know, it was kind of you left Lawler sometimes to his own devices and Jerry with a live mic and in Tennessee, you know, they did things a little bit differently and it wouldn't happen, you know, cut off 
pretty quickly after that and uh, moved on. No doubt. It was cut off. I mean, very quickly, the, the whole racist piece of this angle is dropped. And now it's Hakushi bringing out a severed mannequin head of Bret Hart. And this is something we've never seen before. Quite the visual. Obviously, this is years before we saw Crazy Lanterns with Bray Wyatt and all that jazz. But he, he, here in 95, a severed mannequin head, that, uh, that feels pretty edgy, does it not? Yeah, it was. It was a really cool head, too, and I wanted it. I don't know where it is, but I want to find it and put it in my office. While this feud is going on, Brett's going to face Bob Backlund in a pretty less than WrestleMania 11 match. It's mostly remembered for Roddy Piper screaming, what do you say every few seconds as he stuck the mic in their faces. And at this point, this was probably Brett's least favorite WrestleMania match. Would you agree with that? Had to be, had to be my gosh. <laughs> it was horrible. How, what do you say there fellas? Come on. Hey, Hey, you, that's right. Fella. What do you say? Come on, come on. What do you say? What do you say? You want to give it up? Huh? Yeah. What do you say? Okay. There fella. You're a fine lad. You are young fella. Yeah, if I was there, you know, if I was there, I'd bust that little head up of yours right there. Right there where you got the little thing over the gimmicks on the earphone gimmick thing. I'd just bust your hair up there. Maybe go down a little scratch under your chin there with your beard there, Cubby. The very first in your house pay-per-view. Fuck you, motherfucker. Okay, I'm sorry. Happens on, boy, you've been itching to record and you didn't even know it. You're just ready to let all this out. May 14th, Syracuse, New York, Brett's going to defeat Hakushi in a really great match. And then later in the night, Jerry Lawler is going to pin Brett after a little help from Hakushi to set up a rematch at King of the ring in June. Uh, Hakushi though, he, he did have some good matches with Brett. Was it just a bad gimmick overthought bad timing? I thought the gimmick was great. Uh, the Hakushi gimmick was absolutely great. Unfortunately, there wasn't. Um, I think that if Hakushi had a stronger manager versus old, uh, yeah, Shinja, Shinya, <gasps> I'm going to tell the JJ. <laughs> uh, I think that he might've done a lot better to be able to connect with the audience, but his matches were terrific. Unbelievable worker. Uh, he was great. So that part, I, I don't think was a problem. A now very pissed off Bret Hart is going to challenge Lawler to any kind of rematch he wants. And here we get a kiss my foot stipulation. You're welcome. And in the weeks leading up to this, Lawler did a bunch of funny promos on TV saying he's not even going to wash his feet. He wants to make them as grotesque as possible. This was super silly, but it's old school wrestling and it worked. Uh, Bret Hart and uh, Jerry Lawler hooked it up at the kiss my foot match. They go nine minutes and 20 seconds. And, uh, Meltzer didn't hate it, but he didn't love it. He gave it two and three quarters of a star. Uh, he would say, uh, Hart knocked Hakushi out of the ring and shoved his foot in Lawler's face. He then twisted Lawler's own foot and put it in Lawler's face. Lawler sold it like he's going to throw up, which he did later in the show. Not a good match technically, but Hart was the most over person on the show. And Lawler did a great job working with the crowd. So the match had by far the most crowd heat and interest. And I think that's really like, that is Jerry Lawler in a sentence. Is it not? He did a great job working with the crowd and had the most heat by far. Well, that's kind of what you want, right? Lawler was tremendous in this, yes. you know, all, all the way, all the way down from just the, 
you know, the disgusting feet and the holes in the socks and the medieval times promos that we were able to go cut and shoot in New Jersey. That was a hell of a day. And it was, this was fun. This was a lot of fun. I think it translated to the screen that people looked at it and you wanted to see Lawler get his comeuppance and he did. So it was good shit. When was the last time you tried to kiss your own foot like Lawler? Could you do that today? If we asked, I I, I tried to bite my toenails. Really? How, How successful are you? I had been successful, Connie. Okay. Sad. Cause I got one long one. It's almost like if I were to sniff cocaine off my toenails, it would be that one. You would think your lovely wife could help you with that. Or what's Kane doing? I would point to the big toe and I would yell, that's gotta be Kane and just make him do it. You would think so with clippers, not with his teeth. That'd be a weird kind of deal. So, uh, Brett has left off the next in your house pay-per-view in July, but he did defeat Jean-Pierre Lafitte in a match included on the home video release on the show. And over the course of the next month, the pirate would steal Brett's ring jacket from ringside in a match and then stole the shades he'd given to a fan before another match. So now we got a big hot issue over somebody stole my fucking jacket. And while all of this Brother. is going on, Lawler brings in his personal dentist into the feud because he can't get the taste of Brett's feet out of his mouth. And of course, it's another one of your great creations. I think named famously by Bobby, the brain Heenan, Isaac Yankum, man, you guys, did you just reach directly into the book of bad ideas and pull out one at a time for Brett this year? It feels like it. Hey, we want you to wrestle King Kong Bundy. And then we want you to wrestle Bob Backlund. And then we're going to say you're racist against Japanese people. And then we're going to have you wrestle Lawler in a kiss your foot match. And then we're going to have a pirate steal your fucking jacket. And then this evil dentist will come along. That's the same year, dude. Yeah. <laughs> you felt like that was a good, good year. That's the good. Oh, don't you hit us with that. At the TV tapings in late July, Brett and Sharon actually team up for a couple of dark matches. Uh, and they would defeat, uh, Jacob and Eli blue and also Lawler and Hakushi. Why were Brett and Sean put together here? Just, you knew they could have good matches together and they were both young baby faces or what's the thinking? Yes. And because they were, and they always did. So there was definitely chemistry there and it, it was something that they were opposites and opposites attracted, but yet they were very much the same. If you hear this, you probably start to think, okay. I get why Brett was frustrated or why Brett wanted to take a little time off. He defeats the evil dentist at SummerSlam in Pittsburgh on August 27th. Not a bad match, but he's not in the main event and he's working with evil dentists. So not sliding Kane or Glenn Jacobs, but Lord, this is probably not what he hoped for. And, uh, next he's going to defeat the evil pirate and in your house three and Saginaw on September 24th. He gets back his precious ring jacket. Ben Boya. He does it a week later. And uh, finally we end that silly feud and he tries to blow off the Isaac Yankum piece of business by defeating him in a, I think the first steel cage match on raw, which happened October 16th, 1995 Lawler's in his very own shark cage above the ring. That's pretty old school. And he does commentary for the diesel British bulldog main event at in your house four. And of course it's announced that he'll face the winner at the following month's survivor series. This is of course the famous show. Vince threw down his headset and disgust after the pay-per-view ended and yelled horrible 
you had to be feeling the same thing. Like the company is like a ship without a sail at this point, just to add context to this, this is October of 95, AKA Monday nitro has started and we've got a schmoz finish here that Vince clearly was not happy with. What do you remember about that? Yeah, nothing was working. Not just, it felt, it felt like everything was being slapped together. Brett's going to defeat Diesel to win the WWF title for a third time at Survivor Series. Maybe one of Kevin Nash's best matches he ever had. Uh, this is the first time I recall they do the Spanish announce table spot, which looked really cool because, of course, it's unexpected. This is the first time it's happened. Maybe they've overdone it since, but it still gets a reaction. But this first time, people were shocked with what Brett and, and Kevin did here with that table, right? Yeah, that was pretty cool. The title change. But I mean, I mean, it was it was different. It was it was cool. So it was like it was it was different, especially for the time. So the title change seems to be a bit overlooked, though. When we get to Raw the next night, it's all about Shawn Michaels' return, and this is of course his return after the whole Syracuse incident and the collapse in his match with Owen Hart. I could see how Brett felt like maybe he was getting put on the back burner. The build up to the next in your house with Brett and Bulldog and Hershey is a bit lacking. Bob Backlund, for some reason, is back involved, attacks Brett on your very short lived return to TV. The Brother Love Show. Why in the world were we bringing back the Brother Love Show in 95? I had no idea. Hated it. You didn't want to do it? No. Did not want to do it. Is Vince- that was more of a just, you know, hey, let's, let's do something different and different different place and time and all that good shit diana is also brought back into the feud to try to rekindle some of that magic from SummerSlam 92 at wembley stadium and before we get there we do a bunch of brett undertaker house show matches where diesel interferes to cost taker the title every time and it feels like we're sort of testing the waters for what's to come later but two days before in your house five from hershey there's a special showdown at the corral event in calgary to honor 50 years since Stu Hart's pro wrestling debut. What do you remember about that show, Bruce? It's kind of interesting because Stu carried so much respect. He had talent from both the WWF and WCW on that program. Yeah. And you know, from time to time we would do things like that. It was like the Paul Bosch retirement tour using talent from everywhere. And to honor Stu, uh, we were happy to do it. I wasn't there, but it was, uh, it was, Apparently a hell of an event. Brett gives Stu his glasses in his pre-match routine before defeating the bulldog in a warm up before their pay-per-view match. And once again, he beats bulldog at in your house in a bloodbath, but another great match. And Brett winds up closing the year, defeating diesel in several cage matches on the post Christmas, uh, house show run. And you got to think this 1995 year, maybe it ended on a high note for Brett, but it felt like the this was one of the more challenging years of his career. And we know as we start 96, we're heading towards him trying to be the guy to make Shawn Michaels. Do you think Brett was maybe, is this fair to say a little burned out? Was he frustrated with creative? I mean, if you had, I don't know war, I I don't know. I would say probably the best way to describe him rather than burnout is worn out. There you go. I think that it it became a just a challenge every night and a challenge every day 
to go through the airports and to, to pack his bag and go on from there. So, uh, yeah, I think burnt burnout, worn out, all of that applies at that point because I just think that he wanted to be the top guy. Let's do a few questions here. Drew Landry wants to know why have Brett lose the championship to Backlund when Backlund loses the title to diesel shortly thereafter, why not just have Brett losing some DQ fashion and set up Brett knowing for the title at rumble or WrestleMania 11. Uh, that's an interesting question. You know, I understand the need for Backlund. If you really want to go with diesel, then maybe you don't want to hurt Brett. You want a transitional champion. I get that, but I could also see how Brett versus Owen at WrestleMania 11 for the title could have been awesome. And if maybe it doesn't work there, maybe it could at the rumble had Vince lost faith and confidence in Brett Nolan as a pay-per-view attraction. I don't know if he had lost faith in them. I just think that there was kind of looking at it, wanting to try diesel as the champion and diesel is the guy that decision was made. It's as simple as that. Was it, was it based on Vince that seeing soft houses and feeling like we needed a change or, you know, there's the conspiracy theorists in wrestling who would say, Oh, it's because the click got in his ear. No, click had absolutely nothing to do with it at all. It was more just looking at the reactions that diesel was getting, you know, coming out and he was getting baby face reactions. I think a lot of that had to do with Sean, but, um, that's what it was. Yambag Jones writes being a serious of person as Brett was. How was he about working such a goofy gimmick match? Like a kiss my foot match. And, and, and dude, I, I asked that it's not my question. Thanks. Jam bag. But we know that he didn't necessarily love when wrestling got super edgy in the attitude era. And he was, you know, coming up when wrestling by and large was more family oriented and, and there were more kids involved and things like that. So this feels sort of old school and classic, but it is a little silly. Where did Brett land on it? I don't think Brett was happy about it. I don't think Brett was real pleased about doing the kiss my foot match. Um, what about Lawler? He did it. He did it well. A, a guy like Brett is universally regarded as being a Mount Rushmore level in ring performer. And if you're a Southern guy, like let's say a Jeff Jarrett, Jeff believes Jerry Lawler is the greatest performer of all time. And there's a lot of other folks who hear that nationally and they think, oh, that's that Memphis. What? And Memphis is just sort of dismissed. What did Brett think of working with Lawler? I don't think that he was really high on Lawler, but see, I'll tell you this, you know, the Jerry gets painted with that Memphis brush, rightfully so. And I don't know that things that uh, they did in Memphis would work elsewhere, any, you know, anywhere else in the world in great many respects. However, here we go. I will say this about Jerry Lawler. You know, I saw Jerry Lawler come in to San Antonio, come into Texas, Florida, mid South, uh, different areas and immediately get over because Jerry Lawler knows how to get over and Jerry's promos are believable. They're straightforward. They sell tickets and his work was, was good. Now, if Jerry came in to do a lot of the, the Memphis shtick that they did and the booking that they did, I don't think that that would have gotten over everywhere, but Jerry Lawler singularly 
as a performer, I think could have gotten over anywhere. Well, I don't think that's too hard to argue. Totally agree. Uh, ranchers nation network says did Brett keep the company popular through the tough years of 94 and 95 and the company better said, was he, in your opinion, the franchise in 94 and 95? I think that the logo was the franchise during that time. Okay. It was just branded. Well, yes. Michael Burgett wants to know, we had the big rivalry in this area, in this era between Brett and Owen with Owen chasing the title for Brett. Was there ever any consideration of Owen holding the title and Brett chasing the title? There was consideration for, for a minute, but I think the feeling of Owen on the chase was the better story. Is that because Vince, I mean, you've told us before that the WWF was a quote unquote babyface territory. Is that what that comes down to? Partially, but I also think that it came down to if you put it on Owen, then Owen is climb the mountain. And part of Owen's charm was, and part of his heel was, was that he couldn't get it, but always felt that he was getting screwed in not getting it. Totally makes sense. Uh, here's one from, uh, Michael. He wants to know. I always liked Brett and thought he was phenomenal in the ring. He seemed like a real mark for himself though. Do you see him that way? This is some of that Brett hater aid. And, and I know that there's a contingent of folks who work in the business who think it's not cool to keep any of your collectibles or any of your keepsakes or mementos. As I'm looking at you, you got some of your stuff hanging around. I think it's cool to, I mean, why not? And I, uh, for whatever reason that gets villainized sometimes when people talk about Brett, why do you think that is? I think that Brett was proud of his career and proud of his accomplishments. I'm proud of my career and proud of my accomplishments. So, um, these marks, so am I. And, and to that, I think that Brett, you know, did see himself in a different way, maybe sometimes than others did, but that's okay. If you don't see yourself as a champion and carry yourself as a champion and the guy, then you're never going to get to be the guy. I've always been under the impression to be successful in wrestling or just in life, you know, this isn't going to be popular, but you, you, if you don't believe in you, who will, right? Exactly. So you got to own it and go for it. And he did, man. No doubt about that. Uh, here's one from, uh, the Rosen coaster with the failure of the Lex express in 93. Were there any ever serious considerations of turning Lex and working with Brett as a champ during this era? How come that never, that match never came to be? Cause Lex left. That was the plan though. You think? No, it wasn't. It was a, it was talked about turning Lex heel. Yes. But that wasn't a specific plan. We were going to continue to team Lex with bulldog. Then he left. So who knows what he could have done. I'm curious about, cause when I sort of asked the question that a fan asked or a listener asked, was Brett like the franchise player? And you thought really that was the logo. If Brett wasn't the guy in 94, 95, was he ever the guy in your opinion? I just don't know if Brett was ever in the position to be the guy. And I know that's not, well, he was a champion. Eh, Yes, he was, but I don't still don't know that everything was around him to make it so that he could be the guy. Did you feel like 
uh, and I'm not saying this to be funny. I'm trying to understand and follow like, cause one of the things you and I've talked about a lot on the program and in the archives is the, what if scenario, right? Like what if the screw job doesn't happen? And what if, cause we know Shawn Michaels is gone five months after that. But if, if Brett hung around, man, what would have been possible for him when the company really got hot? It's just crazy to think about. And we talk about all the time that timing is everything. 93, the, it feels like this is a company in transition. We try to make him the champ in 92. He, he has it through most of 93. We do the whole Hogan Yoko thing. Yoko kind of becomes the guy. 94, I think it's hard to argue that Flair, that, that Brett's not the guy in 94. But my 95, it does feel like Vince had lost some confidence and was just trying something new. And even though he's going to start 96 with the title, we all know he's going to drop it to Sean at nine in, uh, at WrestleMania 12. I'm with you. I don't know that Brett really had an opportunity to stretch his wings. And, and it would be interesting to think about if he stuck around through 98 and 99 and 2000, what that could have looked like with him and rock him and Austin over and over and over him and angle him and Benoit him and Jericho on and on and on. Right. Yeah, and again, I, I I don't know because when you look at all those names, all those names were new. Yes. So it, it wasn't – so then you would have to make the argument, okay, well, Brett stuck around. Then would Sean have you know, still been a part of the mix? Would Diesel and Razor, what if they didn't leave? You know, All those questions then come into play, and you wouldn't have had the opportunity for a Stone Cold Steve Austin or a Rock or a Triple H or a Mankind to get over. So I, I think that uh, while it is timing, it, it's circumstance too. I just look back at 95 and I think, and you were there for it. Was 95 the worst year economically in company history? Like, do you remember it being like... <sighs> Cause you're there at the peak, right? So you're there right after WrestleMania three and you see all the phenomenal Hogan stuff. And then you see the worm start to turn a little bit with the Iraqi stuff and it starts to slow down a little bit, but by 95, it does feel like if there was a low point and I know, you, you know, we never sell those. It was probably 95, right? Probably so. If you know, if not the one of. What else would you put up there with 95 year wise? I mean, I know 93 had to be tough because it was like a company in transition, but you, you had Hogan for a hiccup. You're trying to do the Yoko thing, but by 94, it feels like, all right, we're just trying this new generation stuff. You could take a look at like WrestleMania 10 and see every celebrity in the world there. And we try to do that again for 11. I don't think anybody cared. Just 95 just feels Less than 96, you start to feel some momentum. 97, whoa, yeah. we're, we're heating up. I, it's going to be a, a toss up between 94 and 95. Okay. Well, what we know for sure is that things are going to get hot for Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart's biggest rival. Next week, we're going to be talking about Shawn Michaels and his 97 98. From losing his smile and forfeiting the title in February to all the backstage stuff that happened with him and Bret over the summer of 97, the eventual heel turn. Bringing in Rick Rude, creating DX. Unfortunately, the screw job, the the Undertaker injury, the the hell in the cell. So much to talk about. Of course, Owen Hart sticking around, and then we know what happens. 
He gets hurt at the rumble and drops the title to stone cold at WrestleMania 14. But I think when you take a look just at an in-ring performance, swagger, character, blah, blah, blah. There's a snippet of Sean there from late 97 into early 98 that I don't think will ever be paralleled. And, uh, it'll be interesting to sort of see how the company has changed too, because we're talking about a company and maybe tough times here in 94, 95 with Brett, but 90, 97, 98, man, we start to get a little bit of momentum. And unfortunately Brett's not there for all of it, but he's there for a lot of it. What do you think we'll talk about next week with Shawn Michaels on deck? You know, I think that in some ways it was, I don't want to say the decline of Shawn Michaels, but, but it was, it is, it was the rise and decline of Shawn Michaels all at the same time, which is probably the most pivotal, pivotal years of his entire career. We've got a ton of really fun stuff planned for you guys, uh, that I hope Bruce and I get to click record on. Um, of course this week it was uh, all about Bret Hart 94, 95 next week, Sean, 97, 98. September 9th, we hope to bring you, uh, Ken Shamrock's 99 and then ultimately his exit from the company. Uh, we'll talk about one night only and what a special show that was for the UK on September 16th. We'll hit unforgiven. Oh, two on the 23rd of September. And then on the 30th, we're hoping to watch October 3rd, 1987 of Saturday night's main event, something for everybody, some nineties, some early two thousands, some eighties. This is going to be fun. Now, what are the odds you think we actually get to do all those, Bruce? Come on. Well, you know, we'll get there. Give some folks some confidence here because off air, you and I spoke and I said, Bruce, you know, we, we used to have a podcast. It would be nice if we could sit down and click record. And boy, we did. You, you were so excited to say, Hey man, let's do it. Let's get back on track. Let's do it. We're going to make it happen. We're not going to talk. What was that thing you like to say about? Okay, there, I have some extenuated circumstances this week. I'll tell you off air, but, uh, you know, we're going to do our best. You know, know what they are. I know what some of those are. Listen, I know there's a lot of moving parts in your life, and I haven't, yeah. I haven't worn your ass out. I've been a good partner. No, I know. And, it, and if there was, a, if there was a, a way I could microphone in, in the uh, – well, that probably wouldn't be good either. <laughs> no, it would not. <laughs> yeah, could you imagine that? You think you got heat right now, brother. Woo. Oh boy. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be horrible. Hey, this was a lot of fun. felt like old times. It's like riding a bike. I hope we get to uh, show up and show out next week for you on all things. Sean Michaels, 97, 98, right here on something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Rock on. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together. It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on a sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.